and welcome to the European Tour Picks and Bets show. Those eagle-eyed among you will realise I am not Skylar Hoke once again. I am Tom Jacobs and I'm joined by Brian DeCourcy. Brian, welcome. Hey, what's going on, Tom? Uh, glad to be here, uh, helping out uh, as Sky enjoys Hawaii and we get to talk about an event filled with a lot of golfers that can't pronounce their names because I don't talk about it much. So yeah, should be a good yeah. one. I mean, look, when I, when I, I've just done the, the Zozo Championship, there's a lot of Japanese golfers that I read their names on the field, but I don't read them out loud very often. And uh, we have to hack up the pronunciations every now and then. But um, I can always try and help. It's Sky pronounces them in any which way. So you won't be, uh, you won't stand out at all. So, uh, uh, yeah. I love, I love ribbing him about how he says some of these names. It's like you hear the announcer say this weekly. <laughs> like you're, like, it, you know, unknown, sure, I get it. Like, I, I massacre a few of them still, but there's some popular ones that I always I always text him as I hear him say it. And, like, really? <laughs> my, my favorite one was when he tried to change Jack Senior to Jack Senior as if he was <laughs> Sevi Ballesteros, lovely hands around the green type goal for us. I was like, that's not going to make him play anymore. Yeah, well. His name is Senior. He sounds old, not Spanish. So, uh, <laughs> So this is you know that's always good fun. I mean, there's some guys oh, yeah. he tried to he tried to pronounce that Danish guy that's like helicity and he sounds like a chicken, and I can't say it either without sounding like it. So here we are. Um, I know all the names of the people that I've picked this week. Um, that doesn't necessarily lead to any sort of success. Um, but we are at the Mallorca Open. Um, we are playing at Golf Santa Ponza. Brian, I'm not gonna pretend to know anything about the golf course uh the last time they played here was 1998 which made me five years old mm. and and believe it or not i was not gambling at that age uh legally or illegally so um look it's it's one of those ones where i think you just kind of have to because normally i find a golf course designer and i kind of link that to another course and and that leads me down some really bad rabbit hole and i, I tend to still lose but I didn't even have that this week. Like, there was just no sort of clues. I don't know if you found anything. No, uh, the only investigating I was able to do was just going to the golf site's actual uh, actual page, uh, and it, it seemed to be translated enough for me, uh, but it was in meters also. So for American here, I uh, had to convert that. So it seemed roughly 7,200 yards, par 72 uh, seemed a little shorter, but yeah, like you said, uh, I have no clue. I, I see that they played it as well. I was 10, as you mentioned, when you were five, when they last played it here. So even if I had stats or anything from that, I would do nothing with them. So uh, yeah, it's kind of just going in blind, right? I guess you could potentially use uh, like a, a Spanish form, if you will. I know but again, I, I don't know even if the course is like a typical, I mean, Valderrama is a Spanish course and it's probably yeah. not like Valderrama. So no. yeah, blind, blind. Yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes it actually frees me up because I sometimes just look at the golf course and say, right, only these types of golfers can win. And there's always one like last week was Ryan Fox and Minwoo Lee are in the top five at Valderrama and you just wouldn't put them there. Laurie Cancer was leading, wouldn't put him there. Like, you know, it does just happen that the good golf just takes over based on the course. And what I tried to do this week, there's, there's kind of contrasting views. Like you said, it's quite resorty. It looks pretty open. So I think people can be able to shoot low numbers. But as far as I can tell, they've never shot better than 11 under here. And there is, you know, it's coastal, so there could be a little bit of wind. So what I've tried to do is kind of stick with kind of versatile players that I know can cope with the windy conditions as they come along and also shoot the low numbers. 
So we had Thomas Peters at 18 to 1, Laurie Cantor at 20 to 1, Andrew Johnson at 20 to 1, Sam Hortwell and Adriana at 22 to 1. Those are the prices I've got over here. Um, did any of those make any sort of appeal to you? I, I mean, yes, only because it's easy to look at this field and kind of just know that these are probably for sure the best golfers in the field. Um, that said, you know, you're kind of weighting that on their past performance, right? And who we think they are, like a Thomas Peters, Andrew Johnston. Um, you know, Johnson has actually been recently good uh, off the tee and with, with the irons for the most part at Valderrama and the Open de España. Uh, Peters has been so, so off the tee, not great with the, the irons either. Um, so it's like, okay, I, I think he's the, maybe the best long-term golfer in this field, but I, I still don't even know, right? Like, am I still, is Peter still riding some, uh, something that we think he is or was, maybe he no longer is, I don't know. Um, but it drops off name power real quick, right? I mean, you got Martin Keimer sitting at 28, um, I don't know. Uh, I I haven't pulled the trigger on anybody up here. I don't I don't foresee it. Although, I mean, you could go to Catlin or Fox Cantor. I I wouldn't hate it. It's just uh, just seems pretty wide open for me to to jump at either of any of those particular individuals. And I think a lot of what you said about Thomas Peters there is really important. Like, are we still thinking about Thomas Peters that was at the Ryder Cup and played so well as a rookie and has, has performed admirably in major championships in the past and you know, we just we just attach these things. You know, he's, he's not been that golfer for quite a long time now. And same with Martin Keimer. Same with you know, even like it's it's hard to say about that. But kind of like it's been a while since Sam Horsfield was who Sam Horsfield thought he was last year. Like it, it just happens. Right. I mean, the obvious one I think people may be drawn to is Laurie Cantor because I think people will go. Well, he played so well on the course that didn't suit last week. Come so close to victory again. And this will suit, um, but I just couldn't get there. I mean, the, the closest one to me was Ryan Fox because um, he's hitting the ball pretty well. And I know he can play well if the wind gets up, but again, didn't want to go there. So without spending too much time on people that we don't want to bet, there, there's a pair of guys just below those sort of odds that you, you were interested in. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it, I, it's not that I – so we were kind of talking just before we went live, right? It's not that I love them. Um, and even statistically, I don't know how well they fit, but Matthew Jordan uh, sitting around 33, depending on where you're shopping, and uh, Adrian Otegi also at the same number, once again, depending on where you're shopping. It should be roughly in there. Um, you know, at least with Jordan, I don't know, it seemed like maybe he was finding something again. I, I, used, I feel like I used to bet him weekly last year um, and when, you know, he was popping up. Um and maybe he started to find something uh, at the BMW. The irons were there. Uh, the Dunhill links, the irons were there. Uh, he did not play at Valderrama last week. So maybe a week off of uh, maybe skipping, you know, getting beat up by that particular course could be helpful. Uh, he, he was good off the tee uh, at the Open Day Espana at least. You know, he does, I, I, again, at this course, I don't particularly know he's more of a distance than an accuracy guy. So I guess, more often than not, it pays to be longer. Uh, so hopefully that reigns true this week, although that would then hurt the next guy, which is Adrian Otegi, who is more of an assy over distance type. Uh, a lot of middling finishes for Adrian, though, which is a problem. But again, I, 
you know, you look at the finishing position, you know, those fields probably weren't this week. Uh, you know, he, he made the cut last week, uh, played well enough at the Open Day España once again. Uh, he's kind of just a grinder, right? I don't think he does any one thing particularly well, but uh, maybe that's what you'll need this week. It's someone who can gain strokes anywhere on any given week. So, yeah. yeah. I think with a Tegi, it's like you've got a proven winner. You've got someone that's great tee to green at the moment. I think he's 10th best in the field over the last 15 weeks, so going back quite a long time. Um, and like you say, it's been a lot of middling results, but they're, they're steady. Like, you know he's probably going to yeah. make the cut. You know he can go low at any given time. Like I think that's really important. We don't know who the the Spanish contingent have maybe come across here and played here. They could have all done it on their weeks home and stuff like that. So we normally hear that at the end of the week when someone's you know come out and they've been a member there for seventeen years and they never wanted to lit on into the facts. But I spoke right. about Matthew Jordan earlier on, on my podcast and. I don't. I thought I knew what Matthew Jordan was, right? I thought he was a Lynx player, and I thought he was always going to win either on Lynx at the Alfred Dunhill or just on the British Isles. And then he started playing really well at Crans, and then he played well in the Spanish event. And I just think, like, what what is it that he does? And I think it just generally is kind of like a very good golfer all round, bit of a longer hit than maybe gets given credit for. Um, and just, I guess, I still want to see it from him in contention, but. Matthew Jordan is a guy that he will very quickly shorten up. Like he's, he seems to be a popular player and popular name without really achieving too much as a professional so far. And I think, you you know, thirty five to one might even seem short to some, but I kid you, like he will be Laurie Cancer's prize if he has any decent weeks coming up. Yeah, he, I, I, and maybe it's just the circles I'm in, um, the, the people that I follow and talk to about the European tour. Uh, it's not a, it's not a large group, but, um, I think Matthew Jordan was kind of like a, a fantasy darling slash betting. Cause it's just the statistics, like you just mentioned, um, you know, especially in this particular field, he's in the upper 90th percentile in, uh, off the tee approach and around the green. Right. And the strokes game puttings below average. Sure. Uh, but all those things add up to someone, who people like to wager on and play in DFS because you're, you're getting that pretty stellar T to green game over his last 10 events. Uh, yeah. And I mean, that's what everybody loves, right? You chase the ball striking and cross your fingers when they uh, get to the green. So that's Matthew yeah. Jordan. And, that, and that's kind of where I've gone with Richard Mansell as well, whose price, I'm be honest, I don't even not like it. I pretty mm. much hate it. Right. And it's very unusual for me to go against what I believe is value, but he just, he's the type of guy that if I got to the end of the week and he won and he can do that, I would be really disappointed that I didn't just bite the bullet because I'd kind of want like 66 to one. If he's 40 to one, I just ignore it. It just seems a bit pointless. I'm just doing it just for value purposes. So but he's a bomber who gains a ton off the tee. He dropped down to the challenge tour and finished tied 12th. He was tied sixth last time out at the Dutch Open. So there is, there is the fear that he hasn't played for a little while, but that's similar grade field to what he's in now. And over the last 15 weeks, according to my sort of site, he's first in straight scan approach and first in tee to green. He was ninth, 16th, and 14th in the field in straight scan approach, 10th, 8th, and 8th tee to green. Like we know what he does. He bombs it. He, you know, he gains a lot of strokes off the tee, and that is kind of his game. And if if the course gives up the birdies that we think it can do, then I think that's a is a really good formula for him. It's just whether he can cope on a final round Sunday. But I think that's a lot. I mean, I, I'll come on to, I just mentioned with Otegi, there's upside of the winning upside with him. The next pick I'm going to put up is my final line was like, 
if they've won twice, then they're in a pretty elite company in this field because you know there's not many winners in this field. Full stop. Yeah. So just to go back to Mansell here, like you said, you mentioned like he hasn't played in a little bit, but it seems like he just picked right back up. And sometimes I think that's overplayed, uh, taking time off. Like guys, probably probably refreshing, right? And I I know everything is rusty, but at the same time, or could be but they are professional golfers. Um, you know, you hear the narrative a lot too, like so-and-so didn't touch a club for six weeks and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, he didn't forget how to swing during that time either. You know, um, I, I could not do a lot of things for six months and figure like, again, you know, maybe certain guys need a little more time to click, but uh, I personally think that narrative is typically overblown. And like you said, you know, he did play well last time he was out at the Dutch open T six. So, uh, yeah, in a field where there wasn't a lot of clicks to be had, um, I, after you made that mention, uh, he's going on a going on the notepad to look a little further into for me as well. He, he's just one of those guys that he feels like he's going to win on the European Tour. He feels like he's got the modern game to win, and he's going. You know, I think there's a lot right. of guys that come out that are a flashback to the kind of 10, 15 years ago. And you think, I don't see the path to success for you. And and they do prove you wrong. Like John Catlin wins at a rate that you think his skill set probably shouldn't do. And, you know, Yus Loughton and people like that have won. But I think they're slowly getting, it's slowly going to catch up with them. Like the, the long hitting is going to come on the European Tour as well as it does on the PGA Tour. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for me, it's just, I don't, I've not backed him religiously to try and not miss his first win, but I think there's just when there's a field and an event that could suit, we don't really know much about, like, why not just take a flyer on him? And and I think that's pretty much the same with the next pick that we've got here as well in terms of Niall Kearney at 66th, the one I had him. Um, he's a top 10 in the field for me over the last 15 weeks in terms of current form. 8th, 35th, 29th and 12th over his last four He's 35th on tour uh, the whole season, strokes going off the tee, which is pretty surprising considering he sort of averages 290 off the tee. So we know that it's a different kind of way that he does it, that he gains those strokes. But he shot a 61 in the Canary Islands uh, that final day. So we know he can go low when he gets hot. Um, and he's just been playing some really, really solid golf. And I expect that to continue here. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Nile as well, and like you mentioned, he's he's that that rare bird, if you will, um, who gains a decent amount of strokes off the tee, and he's a short hitter. He does a lot of it with just hitting hitting fairway after fairway. So, you know, I kind of look at it both ways with this course. Um, you know, maybe I need to take like two more accurate hitters, two longer ones. Um, you know, just in case. However. I don't know. I, I feel like the Super Birdie Fest really um, kind of just plays to whoever's rolling it the best anyway, and it's kind of nice. It's rare. Uh, you get a guy like Niall who, I don't know, I'm not it's a long-term number in front of me, but his last 10 events, uh, I'm putting it quite well. So, um, and, and it looks like long-term. He's a pretty solid putter as well. The form seems to be there compared to a majority of this field and, and I say form loosely he's got four events that date back to the beginning of August so it's not yeah. uh it's not a long list of form but again you know he's at least held it when he's been making these uh sporadic starts like from the Czech Masters to the Dutch Open uh, he still finished t12 right and then he took about yeah. a month off so there's no reason to think he can't do that again in, in this field so I'm with you there and uh the 66 to one looks like a one of the better I mean that was the first 
the first click I made, right? That that was that was the really the only one that was just like, yep, out of all this, that that kind of feels right. I think the two things that are interesting you said there is is one that he's done it and it's been consistent over a long period of time. And I think that that kind of appeals to me. And the other thing is that these results are kind of all come together and it's something that he's not done for for years in the in the sense that he's done it for three or four years. He, he's come to the fore and all his best results are coming now. So for me, the fact that he just seems to be a markedly improved golfer, like someone like uh, an Adam Schenk on the PJ Tour has had four top or three top four finishes in nine starts. Like that's unusual to him. And I think this is unusual to Kearney, but he's now settling on to that. So I think that is where I went with him. I think the fact that he can gain strokes without being long off the tee is is a is a really important thing because it's not just like the odd stroke it's it's an impressive amount um and i think that was really appealing to me um before i come on to my next pick obviously just uh to advise you to subscribe to the show uh the mayo media network european tour picks and bets the mix on the uh, apple podcast and uh you know just listen for say on the audio form as well as the video form if you don't like watching us on the youtube i know i'm growing out as if i'm a bit of a yeti at the moment so maybe you just want to listen to me as opposed to see me um Renato Paratore was the other guy that when I first looked at it, I, I looked at him, I looked at Langask, and I kind of put them two together and I think, are they not the right mix for this event? Are they kind of better on tree line courses? Are they better when it's just more accurate type things? And then when I looked at Paratore's top finishes, he won the Nordea Masters, which is a pretty open, exposed layout. Second in Mauritius, fourth in Qatar, open. Dunhill links, he was seventh, 18th in Saudi. Like, that's a really good collection of form on these kind of like open, exposed coastal tracks. Um, and he's just got good form as well. Tied 25th and tied ninth of his last two starts. He was seventh at Crans before he went on the run of four missed cuts. Um, never been massively consistent, but again, like I said earlier, like there's not many two time winners in this field, and, and he's one of them. And when you look at his incoming form going into those like, wins, he was 45th and 17th before winning the British Masters. And then he went 8th miscut, 18th, 23rd miscut before winning the Nordea Masters. So to me, it looks like if he can put a couple of really good events together in a short space of time, you, know, you want to look out and see uh, if another win's coming for Renato Paratori. Yeah, he uh, he always seems to be streaky. Um, and yeah, with, with no Guido here, I might as well uh, <laughs> potentially bet on his best friend, right? Uh, so... But like, so you mentioned, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that, like you look back through his results though, even if they didn't necessarily turn into wins, you, you see kind of often the form kind of click, like he goes cut, 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 you know, he'll pop in a T12, you know, it seems to rattle off, you know, a few made cuts in a row. And then he, he, he's been very inconsistent. I think that's due to, um, you know, maybe not the most consistent ball striking, but he, he's been a pretty solid putter right and so again you 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 look at these events and if we truly think this is gonna push you know again i i know what it it, it showed they scored back in the day i still feel like it's gonna push more towards 20 under than it stays around 10 uh again that's just a hunch uh you just see what these guys do to courses these days right so um you have to roll in putts. Like it doesn't, you can be the best iron player in the world. We see it all the time, but you've got to get 20 under. That means you got to hit some of these seven, eight, 10 footers. Uh, Paratory is able to do that. So uh, yeah. And like you said, you get the streakiness. 
finished 25th at a pretty tight course last week. So maybe, uh, maybe the game's rounding uh, back for you. And that was the thing. That was I said sort of, you know, before we came live is the versatility for me on these players. I know he can shoot low because his passing enables him to. I know he can sort of cope with the windier conditions as they come about. And he just, just the fact that he can go high or low, like you said, I think it probably will be, you know, we're talking about 11 under being in 1998. Well, this is 20 years on and golf's improved an awful lot and players have improved an awful lot. I think the reason for Parasori just not being consistent is he just doesn't really talk about the putting being good and, and that gets hot. But his irons are never elite, right? He never he never has an elite ball strike. And he's he's a decently long hitter of the ball. He's top 50 in the, in the tour and over 300 yards. But... Nothing special. He's not. He's not a long hit like a Mansell who bombs it. He's just. He's good enough to keep up the modern day off the tee. He's just. He's not particularly straight, and he's not particularly dialed in with his irons. It's just when there's probably he can probably make the twenty footers that the guys can't make five or six footers, and and that does pay in the end, doesn't it? So, I think for me that was kind of the hope that he's going to do that, and just looking at what he's done when he's been in good form in the past kind of led me to that. Last one for me, um, and then maybe we go through some long shots as some drafting picks and long, longer odds. Adrian Sadie was second for me uh, in T to green and approach in this field over the last eight weeks. 15th on his last start and 7th at Grands, 17th at the BMW International. Um, so he's good recent form. Uh, he was ninth for the Cypress Open last year, which is could, could be a good pointer given the coastal track and the low scoring. And his sole challenge tour victory came in Spain. So you look at his form and he, he had a 44th place finish, I think it was in Italy. And that kind of broke up a, a decent run of form for him. But when you look at that, he had just one pretty poor round there um, that kind of held him back. I just think Stadia is a player that, if you believe he's a type that can go on and win a European tour event, this looks a good place for him to do it. But I think the fact there's just no real pressure on um, you know, it's not like he's playing in a ho- at home in France. It's not like he's playing a really tight track like a Valderrama where anything could go wrong at any time. Like, he's finished 15th for the Dutch Open. He's finished 7th for Grand. Like, 17th in Germany. Even you go back to last year, he had a 9th and a 6th, 12th in Qatar, which is really important. 3rd in Amman, um, something that I kind of like the link to. So, so, there was just loads there for me about Sadio, especially with the way that he's hitting ball. Um, in, a, in a field where we don't know much about anybody uh, down the lower end of the market uh, in terms of form right now and the course being what it is, I just thought focusing on someone that's hitting their irons and driver well would be uh, worth another look. Yeah, he... Uh, I was going through, when you mentioned him, I was going through his recent results here and even even last year, and he has not strung together too many tournaments, but when he has, like, they've come in a, a third, 12th, 18th last year, um uh, 71st, 32nd, 6th place. Then it's just a bunch of cuts in between. Uh, same with this year, right? He just missed a bunch of cuts. Has not been able to do anything. And then, yeah, his last three, he's rattled off the 7th, the 44th, and the 15th. So, like you mentioned, um, he definitely seems to be streaky. Maybe has a little bit the same as uh, Peritore. Um, so, hopefully, you're you're catching one more event here, right? I mean, that's, that's – and, again, you know, it, it helps that the competition isn't going to – probably quite be there so this is uh another week where you know we're, we're rolling the dice i think we've both been pretty honest about that um i i don't really have anything bad right i mean i could roll the dice on i think a few other guys potentially um but i could do a lot worse than the sadier coming into this event there's one guy at the top that i thought 
the, the stats are good for him. He says he's playing the best that he's played in a long time. The form looks good. And that's Pablo de Rafael. But the 33 to 1 about Pablo when he wins at 125 to 1 on multiple occasions kind of put me off. But that would be the guy probably I wouldn't want to win at the top of the market. But was there anyone in the the lower ends, in the, in the triple digits that kind of caught your eye as just someone that you could just back blindly without looking too much into them? Um, You know, there, there really wasn't. And that sounds wild. And, and maybe as, you know, we get closer, I guess the one guy, so if, you, if we want to talk really short form, over the last 10 events, um, it was only we only had 12 rounds for him, but it would be uh, Nikolai Von Delk Shawson. Oh, wow, massacred that one. That one's for Sky, right? <laughs> after after mocking Sky, I'm gonna yeah, go he's try to pronounce now. <laughs> try to pronounce some Danish guy's last name. Uh, Delling Shawson. I don't know. We got 12. He's, he's 225. Um, and the reason he stood out was in those 12. Uh, he's 85th percentile in this field. Uh, tee to green from those. Um, really good off the tee. The irons were above average as well you know, around the green and putting, as we see with a lot of these younger players, right. That's where, that's where they, they don't have the touch yet. So I guess if I was going really deep, uh, we'll go Nikolai at 225 and I'm going to lead the last name off that time. So. <laughs> he, you would please know he was second in the Tenerife open, um, as well, which is probably a good little link there. Opened up with 64 and 62 in the first two rounds, which I think is, is pretty impressive. But look, like you said, I, we, we sometimes come on here and we, we find people that are four or five hundred to one we try and make a case for. But I mean, there was someone like Lars Van Milhau has, has played some decent golf at times. But I think you'd really just be scratching around the surface to try and fit somebody in just for the sake of having a long shot. And I don't necessarily like the idea of doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, some, yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah, like that's a complete reach. And like I just massacred it too. He's not even Danish. It's, he's, not, he's German. So like it just goes to show you. <laughs> I honestly don't know much about him. That's just pure reading, uh, reading some, trying to read some tea leaves in the stats there. So Absolutely. <laughs> There's a couple of guys that are sort of sub 7K that I kind of had interest in on DK, which would be uh, Gavin Green, I think is is coming back to some sort of form. Um, he finished tied 20th last week. Lucas Pierregard, we've, we've mentioned an awful lot on the show late, is 7-4. Um, so those guys could probably prop up a few um, sort of, DraftKings team, Sebastian Garcia-Rodriguez could get off to a fast start, 6,800. Um, but, you know, really and truly, I don't, I don't want to be relying on these guys. I think you need to probably put a pretty balanced board up uh, in terms of DraftKings. I think there is going to be some tough scoring at times out there. Um, but let's uh, summarise our picks. Brian, if you could just go from the top for us. Yeah, so for me, that's going to be a Matthew Jordan at 33 area, uh, Adrian Otegi at 33 as well and then we're going to cap that off with uh niall kearney at 66 and those are the three on the card uh for certain yeah and for me it was richard mansell at 40 to 1 renato paratore at 55 to 1 niall kearney at 66 to 1 and adrian sadie at 100 to 1 and we talk about butchering names brian with uh, with nikolai there i completely butchered the name of the audio platform so daily fantasy sports picks and becks the mix don't put European Tour in there. You will not find it. But you will be disappointed and come up empty. Uh, but please do go and subscribe and rate us, review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the YouTube channel. But Brian, thank you very much for joining us. As I said to you uh, in the chat earlier, you probably joined us for potentially the worst European Tour event of the year. 
Um, I'll say that at the end of the video so that you make sure you'll watch till the end before I uh, make right. that admission. Um, but look, it's, it's a tough event. We've only got kind of four events left of the European Tour season um, you know, before we put a bow on it there. So I think I think we can start looking ahead at who we expect to perform well in 2022 and see if they can get themselves sort of uh, cards locked up and get themselves some good finishes. Well, I appreciate having me on. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not the strongest event the tour has to offer, but uh, maybe this is one where, you know, as the head-to-head -head matchups roll out, we can take more advantage there as well. So, hey, yeah. you can still win money on the bad fields, right? And and that's that. I think, I think the thing is with that is, you know, maybe you just don't overthink them as much as well. Like, you looked at a couple of numbers in the Tagi and Jordan didn't love them, but you expect them to play very, very well. You know, I thought the Paratori and Kearney were overpriced. You hit them quickly in terms of Kearney as well. So I think sometimes with with a weak event, with a weak field, of course, we don't really know much about, we sometimes just make the clicks a bit easier and uh, go with our gut as opposed to getting too lost uh, in the hidden form, shall we say. So I think that puts a bow on it for us and we uh, wish you all well this week.